Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. I'm so excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what? So often when when we talk about the end times, there's a, uh, for some people, there's a real sense of dread and fear and worry. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian today, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. In fact, Jesus says that, doesn't he? At the very beginning of, Mark, uh, of Matthew 24, in the, what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse because he is giving his teaching on the Mount of Olives. Olives, Olivet. Get it? So, uh, so here's the thing. Jesus begins by saying, but he's starting to talk about the end times. And he says, but don't panic. Fear not. Jesus is constantly saying things like that. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Just relax. It's okay. Uh, and the reason he says that is because he's, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And if you have put your faith in him, you belong to him and you've got nothing to worry about. Amen? Yeah. So don't panic. Some of you are not convinced. I think. Some of you are sitting here like, I don't know about this. Hey, look, at, I don't want you to be afraid. That's not the point of having these messages on the end. Um, the reason we are, we're doing this is because we need to be clear about this. Hey, there's a man by the name of Alan John Miller, and he is the, uh, he's a former Jehovah's Witness elder, uh, but now he has his own movement. It's called the Divine Truth Mo- Movement. And here's, uh, here's what you need to know about this Alan John Miller. Uh, he says he's the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? He believes he is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And, um, and so he has what, what he calls these seminars that he does, these divine truth seminars. That's why he's got a little microphone on. And uh, standing beside him is his partner, Mary Suzanne Luck. And she says she's the reincarnation of Mary Magdalene. Now you'd think, what a couple of nut jobs, right? Right? You would be shocked at the number of people who are following these two. They're in Australia. Thank God they're in Australia. But they have got an, a massive following of people. Do you know, if you, uh, if you, if you just Google uh, claims to be Jesus, you're going to find uh, on one of the Wikipedia pages, you're going to find uh, that there is a site that's dedicated to that. And there are 39 people who, uh, that they have on their list who have claimed to be Jesus Christ. And on that list are a few people that you will know You'll remember their name. Uh, the first one would be Jim Jones. Does anybody remember him? If you're a little older, you'll remember the horrible slaughter. Uh, I use the word slaughter. Uh, I guess you, maybe a better word would be the, the, the great poisoning of uh, over 800 people. And these people actually followed Jim Jones from L.A. down to South America. He bought some property. And uh, I, I think that... It, Initially, there was at least a thousand, maybe more people who followed him because they believed that he was he was a Messiah-like figure or at least a great prophet. Eventually, Jim Jones claimed to be the Messiah, and some of us still have very vivid memories of pictures taken of of eight hundred, nine hundred bodies of babies, women, children just laying there dead because they drank poison Kool Aid. Shocking. And you think to yourself, how on earth could eight, nine hundred people be taken in by this guy? 
Well, because I'm going to tell you something. That is the nature of deception. And Jesus makes it clear to us that that's exactly the way it's going to be in the last days. Now, some of you will also remember David Koresh. I don't know if anybody remembers that. In Waco, Texas, the, 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 there's a horrible, horrible scene where, where again, many, many people died. Uh, he had what he called the Branch Davidians. And, again, he claimed to be a Messiah. And, uh, and there's another fellow that some of you may, may remember. Uh, here, let me just give you a picture of him. I don't know if you recognize this guy. This guy is Marshall Applewhite. And uh, some years back, there was a comet that was scheduled to, to fly by our planet. The, it was called the Haley Bop. Uh, kind of sounds kind of ridiculous, but it, it was, it's, a real, it's a real comet. And this fellow gathered people around him and declared that he was, in fact, their Messiah and that he was going to lead them uh, to, the, to the new world, to the new place that God had had developed for them. And the way that they were going to get there is on the spaceship that was traveling behind Haley Bop Comet. So as the Haley Bop Comet was coming by uh, Earth, 39 of these people, again, took poison to die so they could get on this supposed spacecraft that was flying behind the Haley Bop. And this is what you had. It was a horrifying scene. 39 bodies just laying there dead. Um, interesting side note, every single one of these people are wearing Nike runners, black Nike runners with white checks on it. So if anybody has those, I'd get rid of them right away. <laughs> I, I got black, <laughs> green and black, not black and white. But um, you know what? Why do I mention it? Because so much of, of what these false prophets and these false messiahs teach are in fact lies and deception. And if you look carefully, it's not hard to, to finally figure it out. If you know Jesus Christ. Now today I'm talking about false prophets, false messiahs, the Antichrist. In my lifetime, there, uh, the church has, has risen up, and, and I shouldn't say the church, but the people within the church have risen up and declared that certain people are the Antichrist. Some of you are old enough to remember when, when Israel and Egypt made peace with one another. It was Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin. They met together at Camp David uh, with the oversight of President Carter. And uh, they shook hands. They signed a, a, peace, a peace agreement. And then everybody at that time was suddenly sure that Anwar Sadat was the Antichrist. I don't know if you remember that. But then something happened. Uh, Anwar Sadat was assassinated. And everybody said, ah, oh, I guess that's, he's not the Antichrist. But then suddenly they remembered something from, from Revelation. Oh, yeah, the Antichrist is supposed to be assassinated, and then he comes back to life. So everybody was waiting for, for Anwar Sadat to come back to life, but he never did. So then when that didn't work out, then people said that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Some of you may remember that. Um, in recent years, people have said Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And even recent, more recent years, people believe that Donald Trump is the Antichrist. And uh, I don't believe either one of these men are. Putin. Some people believe he is the Antichrist. And here's, here's the other thing. Ever since I can remember, every single pope who's ever taken office, people have said, 
This man is the Antichrist. So here's what I'm here to, to, to say to you today, because I know that some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I've heard this so many times. I've heard these scenarios, these conspiracy theories. Maybe you're sitting here like that today. Or maybe you're sitting here feeling kind of skeptical about all this, thinking, well, this is kind of fun and interesting to, to study this stuff, but really, what is, how does it apply to me? Well, here's what you and I need to understand. As we do the study on the end, understand that we are not sensationalists. We are, we are not trying to, to be sensational and get you all scared and worried and all worked up. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to tell you to sell all your things and go away from me on, on Garbage Hill till Jesus comes. Because <laughs> actually, some people actually did that. Uh, not on Garbage Hill, but on another hill. They thought, I better sell everything and gather my family together. And we're going to go wait for Jesus and over the years, various men and women have set dates that Jesus is going to return by such and such a date. And, of course, he hasn't come yet. But, but they set the dates nonetheless, even though Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus is not even the Son of Man knows and not the angels. They don't even know. So people have become skeptical because you've, he- you've heard this so much. You've heard a lot of it. Well, here's what Peter says. In 2 Peter 2, 3 to 4, for the skeptic, look at this. He goes, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, ah, what happened to that promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So Peter tells us that there are going to be people who are going to be skeptical. They're going to be scoffers. They're going to mock us and laugh at us. So why do we, why do, we do this? Because we've been talking about the return of Christ for a lot of years. I remember as a, as a young boy sitting in the, in the balcony at the, at the old Calvary Temple before it was torn down. Uh, it tells you how old I was. Uh, but Pastor Barbara would give these messages that Jesus is coming soon. Hey, look at you know what you want to know something, and Peter points us out very well in Second Peter chapter two. He says, uh, you know, for us, ten years is a long time. Twenty years is a is a long time. Forty years is a long time. But if you look at if you look at at our our short little life in the context of all of time, you recognize that it's not a long time. In fact, Peter says a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, or a thousand years is like a day. So Peter's saying, hey, don't get, don't get skeptical here. Don't start mocking and just say, and don't start saying, oh, well, we've been hearing about this for years, and so let's just, you know, let's just move on to something else. Here's what you need to know. There's over 90 verses in the New Testament alone, and probably even more than that, that are very clear that Jesus is coming again. And the thing that we are told repeatedly is that you better be ready. You better be ready for Christ's return. In fact, this is what Jesus says through John in the Revelation. Here's what he says, Revelation 16, verse 15. Jesus says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Did you hear that? Just stop for a moment. For those of you who are skeptical and and mocking, in fact, we had somebody here last week who was visiting from out of town and who was in a position of influence um, within Christendom, uh, not massive influence, but definitely, definitely in a position of influence. 
And this person said, yeah, I just feel kind of skeptical about the whole thing. That was after the message last week when I was talking about the mark of the beast and how it could very easily be uh, an implant in our hands. And you'll notice or remember that I talked about the, 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 the logic of doing that. And if you, don't, if you don't remember that or missed that message, go back and listen to it online. But this person walked away feeling a little bit skeptical. Well, hey, this, that's not new. There's been people who've been skeptical about the second coming of Christ for, for a long, long time. But here's what you and I need to do. We need to do what Jesus says here. Blessed are all who are watching for me. We're watching for Christ's return. We're looking for it. We're waiting for it. We're expecting it. Jesus says, blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Hey, we, we've all been naked in our home. Uh, that's what homes are for. It's a place where you get dressed and undressed, you go to bed, and uh, Jesus is saying, hey, don't be caught like one of those people who's, who has no clothes on, and you end up being ashamed because someone's come to the door, somebody has w- walked in, somebody's broken in. Jesus says that's how he's going to come back. When you least expect it, he's going to be there. He's going to be walking into your home, and the question is this, will you be ready? So we're not skeptics, and we're not sensationalists. We're just simply looking for Christ's return. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. And, and I'm going to tell you, we talked about this last week. The signs are all there. Uh, it's, it's all falling into place in a very powerful way. Now, look at this scripture verse here. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, and if possible, even God's chosen ones. Why does, why does Satan uh, want to have false prophets and more specifically, why does he want to see false messiahs arise? In the video clip, you heard us talk about some 90-some-odd 90, 90 or uh, uh, false prophets, people have claimed to be the Messiah. Why, why is that so important to Satan? Well, for, for you to understand this, what I need to do is I need to, I need to give you a context for our discussion. And the place that we're going to go to for our context is we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. And when you, when you read Genesis chapter 2, you discover that God has created the whole earth and he has specifically created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God has given Adam and Eve a a directive, instructions. He's given them a commission. And the commission is this. God says, look it, I'm giving you dominion. I'm giving you authority, control over all the earth. And it's your job to take care of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals. You're supposed to name them. uh, The trees, the forest, take good care of it all. I'm giving you dominion over the world. And by the way, go forth and multiply. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And here's, folks, something that's so significant that so, so many people don't see. Adam and Eve are tempted in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes along to them and says, Hey, Adam and Eve, did God say you shouldn't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And you know what happens. A a discussion ensues. And the next thing you know, Adam and Eve are eating from the fruit. The fruit that God forbade them 
to eat. Why did they take the fruit? For, for one reason. Because of the promise or the hope that if they ate that fruit, they would become like God. Their pride led them to do something that was against the will of God. They're, in their pride, they lost common sense and they did something very stupid. That's an understatement because in their pride, they actually introduced into the world sin and evil. In fact, what they did is that, that authority, that dominion that God gave them in, John, or in Genesis chapter 2, they handed that over to Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Now, now, you need to hear the significance of this. The world belonged to Adam and Eve. By Genesis chapter 3, the world belongs to Satan. Now, all of us sitting here today understand the horror, the destruction, the misery, the pain, the suffering, the abuse that we've all experienced because this world is in the hands of Satan. Now, I need to just remind you of something before I go any further. Satan, before he was Satan, was Lucifer. And if, again, if you know your Bible, you'll know that the Bible describes what happens to Lucifer. Lucifer was, was one of the archangels. He was, the Bible says he was beautiful, beautiful to behold. He was highly intelligent, gifted. He was in a position that, uh, that was above the other angels. Uh, some say that he was, he was the one responsible for the music in heaven. But here's what you need to know, and you can read about this yourself in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28. Here's what you need to know. Satan, or Lucifer, was thrown down to the earth with all the angels who were following him. Why? For the same reason that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took the fruit and ate it. It was because of pride. It was because of their desire, because of Satan's desire, his corrupt desire, to have the position of God, to be God, to be worshipped, to be admired. Folks, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because the very thing that brought Adam and Eve down and the very thing that threw Satan out of heaven is the very thing that's going to keep you out of heaven. If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not yet bent your knee, you'll notice the language Bend your knee in homage to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then you, the Bible says, are going to have the same fate as Satan, his angels, and all who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve have dominion. They have authority on the planet. They hand it over to Satan. Satan now is called, what, the prince of this world. He is the ruler in this world. I don't know if you know that yet. Some people think, well, no, no, God's the ruler of this world. No, actually, legally, in the courts of heaven, the courts of the universe, Satan has control over this planet. Now, watch, watch this, guys. Watch this. How many know what's happening next month? December. We celebrate Christmas. 
We celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. In this series, the end, we're celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know about the first coming of Jesus Christ. The first coming of Jesus Christ is actually the beginning of the end of Satan. Satan doesn't, didn't understand the full plan. He didn't fully understand what was going on. But he did know this, that this, this coming of Jesus, this coming of the Messiah, was bad news for him. And that's why we read that Satan inspires King Herod to destroy all the babies in Bethlehem because he's thinking somewhere in amongst those babies is the, ba- is the baby Jesus. And so Herod wants to, he kills all these babies. And you read about that, but we don't usually talk about that in the Christmas story because it's pretty gruesome, isn't it? But that's part of the story, folks. In fact, the Bible prophesies that this is going to happen, prophesies in Jeremiah that there is a great weeping and wailing in Ramah. But before Herod is able to kill Jesus, the angel of God comes and speaks to Mary and Joseph and says, take the baby away, and they go down to Egypt. Some of you didn't know that. I'm going to tell you, folks, what we're talking about is a cosmic battle, a cosmic spiritual war that's taking place in heavenly places. You and I are pawns in all of this. At least that's how Satan sees us. Now, are you with me? Are you following me where we are right now? Adam and Eve are given authority. They've given dominion of the earth. They've handed over to Satan. And then Jesus comes along. And Satan tries to kill him, tries to destroy him before he can do anything or say anything. And we know what happens. Jesus grows up. And Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And Satan tries once again to get Jesus to do what? To worship him. Satan's at it again. He wanted everybody to worship him when he was still in the heavenly place. God throws him down to the earth. And when Satan's on this earth, he's the ruler of this earth. He tries to get Jesus to worship him. But what does Jesus do? Is it is written. It is written. He knows what the word of God says. And he knows that you worship only God and God alone. It's our first commandment, isn't it? Jesus preaches the word of God, preaches the truth. And then what does he do? He dies on the cross for our sin. He takes away our sin. But here's again what you maybe haven't understood to date. God promised Adam and Eve that the day that they took their fruit, what would happen to them? They would die. They would die physically and spiritually. Well, they died spiritually instantly, and it wasn't long before they died physically. Jesus comes to this earth, and he dies on the cross. Now, why is God coming to die on the cross? Well, first of all, Jesus was the perfect man. He didn't deserve to die. But here's what he did. Jesus decided that he was going to leave the courts of heaven and come to this earth, and he said, I am going to take Alan Duncalf's death penalty upon myself and Hannah's and Gloria's. Anybody else here today? Jesus came, and he said, I'm taking the death penalty. I'm going to die. God came to die for me. Jesus dies so that you don't have to die. Jesus reverses the penalty. Wow. 
But folks, it's only for people who believe in Jesus. It's not for anybody else. That's why you have to put your faith in Christ. So Jesus rises from the dead. Satan is absolutely out of his mind with fear because he knows now he's in big trouble. A lot of people thought that Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom at that time. But no, Jesus is setting up his kingdom in people's hearts because that was the problem in the first place. Adam and Eve had a problem in their heart. And so their hearts needed to be surrendered to God and our hearts need to be surrendered to God where we are walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. Are you understanding this? You see the importance now of having a Messiah, a real Messiah, and you see now why Satan is sending along these false messiahs. It's to confuse the world. It's to confuse you and me. And then Jesus says something very interesting just before he goes to heaven. He, is, he has died, he has risen from the dead, and he's now he's, he's saying goodbye to his disciples. I'm going back to the Father where I came from. And Jesus, listen, oh, this is so amazing. Jesus, oh, and by the way, I got one more thing to tell you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Are you getting this? The authority that was given to Adam and Eve, the authority that they gave to Satan is now back in the hands of Jesus. Ooh, has anybody got chills going up and down your arms and your legs? I mean, I am just, this is so amazing. Jesus says, now I've got the authority. I've got the power. Satan thought he was destroying me, but I am destroying him. The Messiah has come to set us free. Set us free from Satan's power and Satan's grip. And Jesus says, and I want you to take this message of the gospel, that Jesus is setting us free. Jesus, take that into all the world and tell people. Tell people that Jesus died for their sin. Tell people that they can be restored to God. The way it was in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that amazing? The way it was when Adam and Eve walked with God. Folks, we're going back to Eden. We're going back into the Garden of Eden where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Folks, that's what Revelation is about. Read the last few chapters and you're going to find out what it's all about. Folks, it's the most thrilling story. We begin in the Garden of Eden and we end in the Garden of Eden. We begin in the Garden of Eden being kicked out because of our pride, because we do not want to surrender to God, and because we uh, at some point have given our hearts to Jesus. We've, We've said, finally, God, I give up. I'm surrendering my life to you. We end up back in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Satan does not want you to surrender your life to Christ. He does not want you to follow Jesus. He doesn't want you to believe in Jesus. And so Satan sends out these false messiahs and these false prophets who will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive us. Satan wants to get your eyes off of Jesus. Do you understand that today? 
This, is, this really is the great struggle that I have as your pastor. It's to help you so you do not forget Jesus. Because what you do with Jesus is going to determine your whole eternity. And if you haven't surrendered your life to him yet, then I'm going to suggest to you that you need to do that today. You need to do that right away. These false messiahs, they give you, they give you lies, deception, false messages. These false prophets will tell you things that you want to hear, but not what you need to hear. And Satan, this is what Satan's all about. This is what he's trying to do. In fact, we read all about it in Revelation. Satan is a deceiver, Jesus says. Deceiving, deceiving, deceiving. Folks, that is precisely why I'm telling you that you need to read your Bible. Even though Taryn is sending out these emails through Facebook, thank you so much for that, Taryn. Some of us, it's in one ear and out the other. We really are not reading the Bible. Listen to me. Here's why you need to read the Bible. It's no coincidence that Jesus is called the Word of God and that this book is called the Word of God. The way that you're going to know Jesus and the way that you're going to understand who the false messiahs are and who the false prophets are is by knowing the Word of God yourself. Some of you are sitting here today thinking, I'll never be deceived. I'll never fall into, I'll never, I'll never fall for that garbage. Listen, my friends, it's happening all the time. I see people who've been in church for years and years falling into deception all the time, following false prophets all the time. This is why it's critical that you know your Bible. I see pastors, I see churches, I see Bible colleges that are following deception. I see it all the time. And my job is to be vigilant as, 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 as your shepherd, to protect you, to keep you safe from the false prophets and the false messiahs and from error and from lies and deception. But at the end of the day, you have to know the word of God and you have to know Jesus Christ yourself because Jesus says, you will be deceived. Look at that. If possible, even God's chosen ones are going to be deceived. We're living in the last days, my friends. There's no question about it. In fact, John Hagee says that he believes the Antichrist is already among us. What will the Antichrist look like? Well, again, if you know your Bible, you'll know that the Antichrist is a genius of incredible intellect. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 8. He's a genius when it comes to commerce. That's trade. How many know right now that the, the financial systems of the world, the, the World Bank, the, the economy of this world, it's all interconnected. And I'm going to tell you what happens in China will affect us here in Canada. And what happens in different parts of it is going to affect us and vice versa. It's all connected. And so we know that this great world leader is going to have to be a genius in economics and commerce. You can read about that in Daniel 11 and Revelation 13. He's going to be a genius at waging war. 
A mili- you have military genius that's beyond anything that we've ever seen before. You can read about that in Revelation 6 and Revelation 13. In terms of speech, he will have a golden tongue. He will be able to mesmerize the masses for hours on end. You'll sit and listen to him and you'll just think, is it over yet? No, this, I could listen for hours more because his, his tongue is golden. He will have a genius when it comes to politics. You can read about that in Revelation 17. Very, very attractive individual. A person who will absolutely mesmerize people. And I'm going to tell you right now, this world is looking for a leader. It's looking right now for somebody who can lead us because the world is in such turmoil. Here's what we know. is why he's called the Antichrist, is that he will mimic Jesus Christ. Jesus is, 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 is God. We read that in John chapter 1, verse 1. And by the way, next month we're going to be talking about Jesus in his first coming. And we, we, we discover that Jesus is in fact God. John 1, verses 1 to 2. Contrary to what Jehovah's Witnesses and, and others say, Jesus is God. And guess what? The Antichrist is going to come along and he's also going to claim to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4. Christ did miracles, and the Antichrist is going to come along, and he's going to do miracles as well. He's going to perform great signs and wonders. Christ is crowned with many crowns, Revelation 19, but yet we read in Revelation 13, verse 1, that the Antichrist is crowned with ten crowns. Christ rides a white horse, Revelation 19, but the Antichrist also rides a white horse in Revelation 6. Christ was resurrected, Matthew 28, verse 6. And if you read Revelation 13, 3 to 4, it appears that the Antichrist will also be resurrected. He will have experienced a fatal wound. Christ is a member of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guess what? Satan, too, is part of a trinity, but it's an unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which you can read about in Revelation 13. You need to understand this stuff. Because it's all part of looking for the return of Christ. Our hearts need to be set on things above. Hey, folks, Jesus said all authority has been given to him. And because of that, we have that authority. The authority to do the work that God has called us to do on this planet before he calls us home. And I'm going to tell you, if we're going to get the job done, then we need to know who the false messiahs and the false prophets are. We need to recognize it when it happens because I can guarantee you that you will be deceived if you do not have a strong and vibrant walk with Jesus Christ. You need to know Jesus and you need to know his word. And here's what I know. So many of you today do not know Jesus and you don't know his word. You know the very basics. Jesus was born in a major, he died on the cross, he went to heaven. He's coming again. That's all you know. Look at where the deception happens. It happens in the message of the prophet, the message of the Messiah. And if you don't understand the truth, then you are going to be set up for huge, huge deception. I'm watching right now, folks, people around the world embracing embracing things that are totally false and in the name of Jesus. 
I'm going to close with this. John MacArthur, who's, who is uh, definitely not a friend to Pentecostals, but he is, he's, in my, in my opinion, one of, the, one, of the, the, the last, one of the last great teachers of truth, not afraid to speak up. He recently uh, shared his thoughts about the Antichrist, and this is going to shock some of you. It's going to shock you greatly. Islam, I don't know if you know this, they also believe there's a Messiah, and they believe there's a Messiah coming. And they call him Mahdi. And the, the Mahdi is their eschatological redeemer. And they say that he will appear and rule for seven years. If anybody knows their Bible, you'll know that seven years represents the tribulation time. And uh, here's, uh, here's what you need to know about the Mahdi. He will be a messianic figure and an unparalleled leader. It's just exactly what the world was looking for. He will be a descendant of Muhammad. He will come out of crisis and turmoil. The world will be in great crisis and turmoil, and that's when he will arise. Folks, would you agree that we're kind of moving that way right now? The, the world economy, the environment, the, the unrest, the lawlessness. Talk about crisis and turmoil. And I'm telling you now what, what Islam teaches about their Messiah. He says that, that the uh, Mahdi will take over the world, that he will establish a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. He will set up his Islamic headquarters in Jerusalem. He will establish Islam as the official religion. He will appear riding on a white horse. He will be loved by all people and he will establish Sharia law throughout the world. Don Davidson told me today that Justin Trudeau wants to establish Sharia law in Canada, but I don't think Trudeau is the Antichrist. Hello? <laughs> John MacArthur comes to the conclusion that the Bible's Antichrist is, in fact, Islam's Christ. Did you hear that? The Bible's Antichrist is Islam's Messiah. The eschatology, the, the theology of Islam says that when Mahdi comes, he will shatter crosses, destroying Christians. Their Messiah is our Antichrist, and our Messiah is their Antichrist. Did you get that? Satan is a deceiver and a counterfeiter. Islam's eschatology is the exact opposite of ours, reversed. Now, I want you to see something. Because if you ever read the Quran, and I have read, I wouldn't say all of it, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that Muslims actually do revere Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew that. They do recognize him as a prophet, but he is not greater than Muhammad. How many understand that Jesus is not just a prophet? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth.
Here's what Islam says. When Mahdi comes, he's going to bring back Jesus with him. And then when Jesus comes back with him, now that's not our Jesus, that's their, their view of Jesus. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to tell all the Christians, you're all wrong. You're all worshiping the wrong way. You need to give your life to Muhammad and Allah. And then their theology says that Jesus will settle down. He will get married and have children. And then he will die. And then he will be buried next, right beside Muhammad. Now we recognize that that is not Christ, that that is the false prophet. Now I challenge you to read Revelation 13. Read Revelation 12 and 13. How many know today that Jesus Christ is not a servant of Allah? The Bible says that someday every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Hallelujah. And so Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't know Jesus and if you're not studying your Bible, you will be misled. I guarantee you, you're going to be misled. Know your Bible and you better know it well. For many will come in my name, says Jesus, claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. Let's stand together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, we're waiting for your return. God, you make it clear to us what the signs of the end will be. God, and you tell us not to panic and not to be afraid. But we need to know this stuff. We need to understand this stuff. Because even if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, there are many false prophets who will try to mislead us and lead us astray. Help us, we pray, O God, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to be constantly looking and watching for his return. No, we are not skeptics, and no, we are not sensationalists. We are people who are vigilantly watching for Christ's return, as Christians have done for 2,000 years. Help us understand, O God, that Satan wants to steal us. He wants to rob us. He wants to destroy us. But we give thanks to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. And we are servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us now as we go from this place with a brand new fervor, a brand new joy, a brand new excitement, a brand new hunger and thirst for a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray it for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, Maranatha.